0: Welcome to the Home Lab Show, episode 75, privacy, security, and some Q&A. Now, this is kind of a part two to the one I did last week. Uh, Jay was off that week, but we talked about a lot of things. Don't open your ports. Don't just expose everything. Make sure you have a plan to update and execute that plan to update thing. Um segmentation. So that's all in episode 74. Uh, we may address a few things like to uh, expand upon those in this one, but we're going to talk about the other side of it too, which is some of the privacy things you might want to think about doing, because I focused on security things, security and privacy. I see people conflate them together a lot, but they're two different things. And sometimes the two don't necessarily are opposed to each other, but uh, there's different methodologies that you need to follow to get those set up before we dive into that. One way to protect your privacy is, oh, no, this ain't a VPN ad. It's a Linode ad. But you can protect your privacy of the things you host by hosting them with Linode so people don't have your public IP address. Um, It's... I, I We don't want to do any VPN ads. We've kind of commented before, but if you want to run your own VPN, because you don't want trust those VPN companies, Linode to be the place to run it. They've been a sponsor of the show for quite a while. Uh, they're a great place to host many of the projects we talk about on here. We thank Linode for... Uh, sponsoring this show and we don't think any vpn company so we will mention privacy vpns so but there's none of them sponsoring the shows is completely the node great place to host things great place to host your own vpn or any of the services as i said uh, there's an offer code down below to get you started with the node and i uh, thank you skin for sponsoring let's jump into it jay was wondering tom do we get a vpn sponsor
1: <laughs> no it, you know it's hilarious because i i've had a few as i think every youtuber that's of a certain subscriber age will have, you know that. Please mention this on your channel, and uh, I'll give yeah. you money and commission and all this other stuff. And I'm thinking, well, that's great until you you're publicly exposed and you're just like making uh, fools of yourselves on the news, and and of got to go back and change all the recommendations to get rid of it. Yeah, no thanks.
0: Yeah, there's in the back end, and we commented to this uh, on our VPN one, because a lot of people ask about privacy VPNs. We're going to touch on them here. Um, there, there's a limited amount of trust I have for those companies, no matter how much they claim. It's it's a hard claim to hold up, so to speak, that they don't audit um, or don't can retain any logs or anything like that. They'll say independent third party. But honestly, I mean, do you know the third party? Do you know them? It is kind of a trust problem with them to, to just make the assumption that all the marketing speak they put on there. And if it's not true, who holds them accountable? You know, they're registered in different places, often not inside the United States. So you now are relying on the laws of those areas to do it. So I'll get off my soapbox about uh, VPNs for for the moment. We will be bringing them up though.
1: Like you don't like my um, independent third party um, provider. I mean, my friend owns the company. He's a very independent person. I'll have you know. Oh, yeah <laughs> it's like it's like they're never logging until they are that's the thing
0: right, never logging until they are uh they yeah. weren't logging when they did the report. all right, now, one of the things that Jay brought up first, and this is one of them I don't think I deeply covered, but uh Jay wants to talk about some c v e myths. This is more on the security side yeah. than the privacy side, but I think this is worth bringing up
1: yeah, and I feel like these myths are they make sense. Because this this is not to shame anyone. This is not to, you know, crack the whip. You shouldn't think this way because everybody does at a certain point, right? Because you start off and then you learn and you learn and then you learn, well, maybe I should start caring about the things that I didn't think I should care about. So what I mean in particular is when you have vulnerabilities that really don't seem like a big deal at all. Like, yeah, I don't care about that. Um, obviously, if it's a vulnerability for a piece of software that you don't run, of course, that's a situation where you... Um, are probably off the hook. But even then, does, is there a library that's shared between applications? That could be a thing. But specifically, let's say you have a remotely exploitable CVE or vulnerability and one that's not. So obviously the one that is remotely exploitable is a higher priority. That's always true. That's not a myth. That's fact. I mean, obviously you want to close that down first. But what is a myth is when you have a vulnerability that is not remotely exploitable, then you might think, I don't care because my application is, it just doesn't route to the internet. It's internal only. So I don't care. Um, but you should, because that's how lateral movement happens. Because if somebody gets into some other app, then maybe all they need is that other vulnerability to get further into your system or to escalate their privileges. So even a low um, priority bug could be a big deal. So that's why I often tell people don't just focus on the fact that it's remotely exploitable or not, because you'd be surprised what uh, threat actors can do with that. And that's why all updates should be installed. And sometimes I think you wanted to mention something about this, too, where you have a low score for vulnerability, but it's not really low in, in practice.
0: Well, and this is where the, um, vulnerability chaining becomes a really okay. big deal. And for example, I think it was dirty pipe came out this year in Linux. You're going doesn't affect me because I'm the only one with a login to my Linux machine. It's a low vulnerability. I'll patch it later, except log4j. If you have something using log4j and that something happens to be publicly exposed, if you exploit log4j, you're able to, and we'll use Unify as an example because it's popularly used. Unify was vulnerable as many other things were to the log4j. And Unify properly runs as the Unify user. So if you have this publicly exposed, someone could then pivot in, use the log4j exploit, and then go, well, all I got was the Unify user, and it's pretty limited. Aha, they didn't patch for the dirty pipe because they thought, hey, no other users are logging in here, only me. But then now you privilege escalate again, and that has been successfully done. People have proved that you can chain log4j to a lot of other things. So those little things you didn't patch that you thought were, well, they're internal, or they require a user to be on my system to exploit, suddenly became a lot in. You know, bigger of a deal directly talking to you as in the home lab folks. This is still where browsers are a big threat, because if there's a small problem with a browser to escape bigger, same problem can apply. If there's a small vulnerability that gives them lateral movement, the browser exploit could then bring them further where they need to be. So it's just one of those things to really take into consideration to try to make sure things are patched internally and externally.
1: Absolutely. Yep, absolutely. So uh, yeah, definitely don't write off a CVE or vulnerability um, unless you really dive in, but also keep in mind lateral movement, because I feel like yeah. that's something we talk about a lot, actually, because it, it is what happens in the real world. It's not just about one system. It's about how do I get to that system? I might have right. to get through like five other systems to get to my target. But how, you, how that person gets to their target is all dependent upon which things are patched and what's not. And to borrow
0: some common phrasing, as I see people putting in the comments on there, your north-south is your egress and ingress through your firewall, and your east-west is a common term. That's that lateral movement, as in adjacent machines inside your network. So, your your north-south is where your you know threats are going to come in, but your uh, east-west is that lateral movement. Those are common phrases you'll hear in the security community when you're looking these up. In case uh, you know, we say lateral movement, but it does also mean your east. East West movement for those of you that are wondering what that nomenclature means.
1: <laughs> yep. Yeah, another one is someone might be under the false impression that if they are fully passionate, by the way, good for you. If that's you and you're fully patched, you are an awesome person, but um, someone might think that they're just bulletproof. I don't actually, I don't think anyone really thinks of that, but they might no. have an over <laughs> sense of, um, you know, security or something like that. And the reality is the most dangerous CVEs are the ones that haven't been reported yet. The ones that the general public, they just don't know about. So if you are patching your systems as you should do, then you are patched against the things that are known. But if I was a threat actor and I found a really awesome vulnerability that just let me go right into a system, um, I'm not really trying to let people know that I have that in, in my web, in my tool set, because the minute that I do let somebody know that's when things start to get patched. And then I can't use that anymore because now it's being patched. So as a threat actor, I might, you know, keep that and use it as much as I can until people fa- you know, find out about it. So in that sense, that's when your uh, disaster recovery and disaster prevention plans come into place. How, you know, can you delete a server and then spin it right back up if something were to happen to it? I hope so. Um, that being said, I wouldn't say that Home lab people are going to be as much of a target as a company, but don't let that false sense of confidence um, stop you. Just make sure you have good backups to, you know, curb that kind of thing, because you can't really protect what you don't know about. So there's really right. not much you could do about that, but to just be aware that it is a thing. So that way, if you do everything right in your own opinion, and, and maybe we have some, you know, friends who are into security, look at it and they agree you did a pretty good job. Um, doesn't really mean that you're going to not have a problem. It just, it's very, it's it's a lot less likely, but um, I mean, in today's day and age, you could be playing an online game, And just winning and just totally, you know, I don't know, Street Fighter 6 and you're just like knocking people out left and right. Somebody's so upset with you in particular, they map your username to something. Oh, he's got a home lab and, you know, next thing you know, he's in your system and, yeah, that's not good. Now, that might sound like a a funny um, hypothetical story, but things like that actually happen nowadays. When, um, I mean, so I I remember when sore losers were just sore losers, right? But um, basically, just keep everything patched and make sure you have good backups.
0: Yep. I will mean, I'll leave you with uh, Mike Tyson's favorite cybersecurity quote that I love quoting. Did <laughs> you know me? He had my favorite quote he's ever said that applies to cybersecurity. Everyone has a plan until they get hit in the face. <laughs> That's not so wrong. You still should have a plan, but yeah, be prepared uh, for, you know, if something goes really, really wrong. Yep. All right. What
1: is next on our list here? So Tails was something I think we wanted to bring up. I and know. I haven't used it much, but I have used it. I have checked it out. And, you know, unless th- anything has changed, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I think your knowledge is probably more up to date, it's a um, live CD. So I keep yep. saying live CD, but a live USB. USB. Yep, live <laughs> USB, live image distribution that uh, focuses on privacy, doing some pretty clever things to warn you if, uh, you know, you might be tracked in ways you might not have thought about. Um, it's a good idea or a good solution if you just want to, um, you know, browse and not be worrying about, like. All these trackers, or whatever it is, uh, your use case might be.
0: Yeah, Tails is a really cool project, and you don't load it on a system. You leave it on your USB, you boot from it. Um, you can run it virtually. There's a couple extra uh, clicks you need to do. It warns you because if you run it in a virtualized environment, there's still some tracking information that may come from this. But Tails is really cool because if you're looking for a way to truly be anonymous online, it's going to use the Tor system, and it's going to force everything through the Tor system. And truly, be anonymous online maybe is a little overstating it. I don't want to bolster confidence. Right. There are methodologies, and I've talked about this a while ago, referencing some of the DefCon talks on this of how you figure out uh, something on Tor. It's not easy. People say, "Oh, Tor's been compromised," or whatever. It has not been compromised. There are ways. If you have enough exit nodes, you can basically look at certain things and try to figure out who those exit nodes and entrance nodes are by sending data and looking at some of the nuances the way data traverses it's not like it just automatically uh, makes you findable so in general unless you have someone who has the resources to do something like that <clears throat> nation state actors <laughs> uh is a reasonably good way to remain private happen to be wearing my tour shirt today but in uh, that's actually because the other side of tour uh, i have a video that'll be up within the next 24 hours that is how to block tour on pf sets because the other side is of course it for all of its great uses The reason it's so popular is uh, people like to use it to poke back at things. So it's a good and bad. But Tails is a good way if you want to look up something and not really be tracked. It's a solid process for this. It also doesn't have any persistence. It just lives on that live USB and that's it. So there's not any settings that stay. There's not any Browser tracking cookies because it spins up a new one each time It also makes sure everything's always going over the Tor network Uh, It doesn't even let the browser do anything until it establishes those connections It's actually kind of a cool way to learn how Tor relays work And uh, some of the functionality of it So it's a really, really clever system I highly recommend you check it out Um, It's it's a nice all-in-one So instead of just running like a Tor-based browser on your desktop This goes a step further as it wraps the entirety of the system in Tor
1: Yep, that's a really good explanation, actually. Yeah, it's a nice system. Um, I'll
0: give a shout out. It's been a while since I've used it. Uh, Parrot has that built-in as well parrot os has a way to flip itself into tour mode um, i believe they still got that built in it's been a little while i've got some older demos on parrot uh, os that does it parrot os is a uh, another operating system similar to cali where they've got a lot of tools built in but it's uh, more built to be a daily driver than Kali is for as like a, a linux distro uh, been a little while since i reviewed it i know they've done a lot of work in the past um, that i i thought it was great so i'll it's, it's probably still a pretty reasonable um, operating system that has Tor built into it. But it's been a minute since I looked at it. Uh, I'll just give mm-hmm. them a, a runner-up. Tails, that one's kept up to date and a good, solid project.
1: Yep, and that it is.
0: Now, when should you use privacy VPNs? Now, we we were obviously saying we have a limited amount of trust we have for these companies, um, but there is zero trust I have in large ISPs. This can be a challenge if you're in an area where they're filtering, where they're blocking. Um, This is a constant battle of anything related to usually uh, rights when it comes to copyright issues and things like that or uh, issues of content of where you're located. So you're located in this country, but that means you're restricted from watching this show in that country. These are. Good reasons to use the VPN um, in terms of to get around these type of weird, um, I don't know, lawyers invented ways of copyright problems. You know, it's not like you're not trying to pay for this stuff. You're just trying to do it. Also, if you're um, seeding ISOs with torrents, uh, you know, things like that, your ISP may frown upon that. So you probably want to consider one of the privacy VPNs for that. Um, that's mm-hmm. another good reason to use it. Now, just keeping things from your ISP from a US perspective, I don't see it as a. Is this overly necessary? Like, I must route all things through a VPN because I'm worried about Comcast or Wide Open West, the two providers I use, you know, seeing my details. But if you live elsewhere, this may be a bigger concern because elsewhere, well, I, I know there's some new laws coming in a few different countries that you may not want them tracking a lot of it because that can be a different problem because the government's entanglement with the ISPs is a little deeper than it is here in the U.S. So something, yeah. something to consider when you're using those, and those may be some good use cases. But please remember, you're still just pushing that trust over to one of these VPN companies as long as they are reputable, and they all claim to be, of course. Just take that into consideration when you're doing it.
1: I I would use one when I'm basically at a cafe or diner or something like that, just browsing the internet. I'll often use it when I do that. But um, yeah, I I do agree. I feel like a lot of the VPN providers out there, they um, just kind of overvalue their security and purpose. Like, you know, you'll be able to do anything you want. Nobody will know. Really? Like, no, it's not kind of how it works. So, um, but it, but as you're, you're right, it does absolutely have some use cases. I, used it once to buy a CD from another country because it wasn't released in the United States. So it's only way I can get to the order page was to go through a VPN to buy the CD, which is weird, but I was able to get it. Um, And there's, there's a lot of one-offs like that too, that'll um, come up every now and then.
0: Yeah. um, Also worth mentioning though, you had mentioned like in this, uh, I remember one of the big, like mainstream newspapers had this as an article of not needing a VPN at your coffee house or McDonald's anymore. Um, And they they made some good points in that article. And it's probably worth noting that since most things have moved over to HTTPS and you have the opportunity to use DNS over HTTPS, that's actually become less of a need. Also, this is something to think about a big perspective here. How many hackers are hanging out the coffee shop all day to try to attack another person at a coffee shop? statistically the probability goes down people like to get excited about things and tell you this can be done look at us redirect this person's dns and arp poison this network at the coffee house to try to get tom or jay that's a targeted attack if someone's trying to get us and just because it can be done how many times are hackers really hanging out there trying to interfere with people's dns it's statistically less probable. Um, I'm not saying it; the chances are zero, but the chances aren't a whole lot above zero unless someone's actually tailing and targeting you at these. So it's not like I would say every time you need to do this. Also, as I mentioned, DNS over HTTPS, if you're using a protocol like that, that's not a spoofful. Someone would have to actually actively block that on a foreign network to stop you from getting to DNS. You know most of the time what you're worried about is them poisoning a DNS to send you somewhere else, but poisoning DNS doesn't get you a valid SSL cert. So I can't just make up a new version of Amazon and then your system will go, "Oh, this is the Amazon." I'm going right. to it, it's going to need a valid SSL cert that matches things. So it's not as arbitrarily easy i mean there are hacker scenarios and you can set these up and it's a great learning opportunity it's just not a constant likely opportunity to uh, do that Um, someone said in here and this is this is another option why not just use your home vpn when you're out yeah that's absolute great ideas to if you're using something like pf sense combine that with something like tail scale because it's really easy to get set up Uh, and you can use tail scale as an exit node and then you can vpn always back to your uh, home that's absolutely a way to do that as well
1: yep and i think uh some of the coffee shop mentality i don't know how much of it it probably came from the uh fire sheep era oh yes,
0: I loved fire sheep.
1: Those yeah. were the days
0: now back in the days before let's encrypt kind of, you know, pushed the world forward and everyone got a little bit more conscious of the dangers of this. Yeah. In the early days, fire sheep was a lot of fun. Uh, if you look forward or some old videos, and I want to say they're titled men in gray and they're using fire sheep to uh, session steal and everything else there was so much fun wow. things you could do <laughs> um, because nothing was encrypted we used to uh, at one of the hacking events years ago we'd we'd put a screen up and we grabbed anything that was passing in clear text and reassembled it on the screen it was actually a lot of fun um, you you could do so much stuff when things weren't encrypted it was just it was quite the disaster so
1: (laughs) i mean things have come a long way i mean i remember when i first started college and my teacher was saying you know how secure windows 2000 was and he just went on uh this rant about how great the security was And um then he looked at all the computers in the room he's like why is the task scheduler open on every computer i'm like because i just hacked into it while you're talking i just launched that app on every computer in the room it was great (laughs) (laughs) but but you know and then after that fire sheep and all that i remember steve gibson saying that you should always use a vpn when you're in a coffee shop because of things like that but you are right i mean the technology has excelled in terms of security to where it's not as important as it used to be right but um you know, then again, you know, you got to make the choice for yourself. I, I think I really like the idea about just VPN back home, you know, because cause yeah. you, you can literally just at home send all of your logs to dev null and you have all the power to do that if that's what you want to do. And you don't have to worry about um, that not being the case unless you broke something. Right. So, yeah.
0: I have um, each of my VPNs as I set them up. I always install them twice on my laptop. One is labeled split tunnel and one labeled full tunnel. They're the same VPN and in Linux it's really easy because it's just a checkbox of where your routing goes. Full tunnel means send all of my traffic back, encapsulate it. Uh, I want not just resources that are on my VPN and on my local network that I'm VPNing into accessible. I want all my traffic to go out that. The split tunnel is, well, I don't necessarily want the speed hit that may come with tunneling all my traffic back. I'm just watching YouTube videos here at this uh, McDonald's and I only need to access, well, this particular resource over here because I want to log into something that I need to grab I have at home. So uh, you can also think about it that way to, you know, make it pretty easy to set up.
1: Yeah, the meanwhile, I'm going to McDonald's and getting on their Wi Fi to see if I see McDonald's ads on Burger King's website. But oh, yeah, from that kind of person.
0: <laughs> anyway, exactly. It's amusing. The next one, and someone asked, you know, it, this is very relevant because they said, How about email? Do you exchange encryption keys with your uh, business card? And the answer is, me and Jay and many other people in the security community, uh, Signal Messenger is probably the most popular one out there, hands down. And it's, I, I think, The problem with email is even though PGP exists, it never got to the point where it's easy to use. So I never consider email part of secure private communication. Uh, It's all best effort. But in terms of if I have something that I don't want, I have a real, you know, I need a secure line to talk to someone because you can do conferencing over signal. You can do messages over signal. I can do phone calls over signal. Signal is amazing. When it comes to that, they are set up as a foundation. The history of signal is actually interesting because it's not like just some project, uh, Moxie Marlinspike, When he put this together, he set it up as a foundation run on donations so they can maintain it. So it's not like, Hey, here's this project over here. Uh, I'm going to throw it up on GitHub. I'm going to make it open source. There's a lot more to Signal than that. Now, the other thing about Signal, It's good for secure communications. A lot of people get mad going, but it makes me use my phone number. And I actually think that's why I like Signal so much. One, it's easy for me to do a key exchange and verify someone and identify them. I have Jay's phone number because he's a friend of mine. I have many of my security people. I know their phone number because they're friends of mine. I actually had seen some comments because I've got several videos on Signal where people were debating, but Tom, I want to be anonymous. What if I send something to someone? I don't want them knowing who I am. I'm like, well, Well, you're usually sending something not nice to someone, is why you don't want to uh, know who they are. Uh, signal is all about the privacy, and because it requires a phone number and is not anonymous, makes me happy because I always know Jay's gonna come from Jay's phone number, Tom's gonna come from Tom's phone number. If someone were achieving to clone Jay's phone number, well, signal his uh, ID would change, and I would have questions, and Jay would have to validate why his ID changed on there. That validation of ID is what keeps your spammers down, which helps me understand and be solid with, you know, knowing who Jay is at any given time. And uh, that's one of the reasons that I've, you know, really liked signal for that reason. I I think it's just, one of the best ones out there. Uh, I wish it was better adoption uh, outside the security community, but man, when I go to a security conference, like all of our group chats, I'm going to a hacker conference. Uh, I leave tonight and I already know the group chats all going to be set up in signal because all my friends that are going to be there already have signal. And that's just how you communicate with them. It's a really good one to do for uh, secure communication.
1: Yeah. And I, yeah, totally spot on everything you just said. And um, I, I remember, at at least one company trying to make PGP happen, you know, it's kind of yeah. like the, you know, the term or the phrase on Mean Girls, stop trying to make fetch happen. It's not going to happen. It's yeah. like, um, yeah, PGP is used by a lot of people. So I can't say it's not happening, but it's, it, it, it is the case that it's not happening in the sense that a lot of people are just going to not understand the complexity and why it's necessary. There's Thunderbird add-ons and things that make it simpler, but um, until your um, non-computer interested person can easily use it, then it's it's just hard to make it hit mainstream. But there's alternatives, so yeah, it you know, always go that direction. I, I sometimes will encrypt a file and email it as an attachment, and then some random amount of time later, I might uh, call the person. And give them the password over the phone or maybe email, but eh, I don't like to do that. But at the very least, I try to encrypt it that way, which people generally understand. They open up a, a file, it asks for a password. They need a password. They they need to get that from me, and usually that's probably a, an okay way to do it. Yeah, and. The um, number of users What surprises
0: me over time is the number of Just general people I know that start using Signal Now it is, that's not really Happened in the PGP world but from The perspective of Signal all the, I'll randomly find out hey your friend so and so I'm like huh and they're not computer friends They're just general friends I have using it So I, I actually see it um, One of the biggest things that happened in Signal Was Elon Musk uh, for Whatever reason he decided to tweet About Signal and it got it popular I think that actually since then they've actually increased the number of users on there because, well, Elon tweets things and people follow him. So uh, get excited about it. But nonetheless, more people are using it. Um, me and Jay were just talking before the show because I was like, I got, actually have my wife using it because of I only told her I'd reply to signal messages. The other thing about that is she found out when she loaded on her phone, uh, more of her friends have randomly started using it. My wife doesn't work in the mm-hmm. tech world at all. So it's slowly becoming more and more popular, which is really cool.
1: So maybe if they would have came out with PGP Messenger. It would have um, been a lot more successful.
0: Yeah, I Same. see people asking about Telegram. I think it was <clears throat> Bruce Schneier. I'd read he he quoted. He's a really famous um, cybersecurity person, uh, cryptographer. I think he said something along the lines of, "I'd rather be poked in the eye than keep looking at this messy code that Telegram wrote." Um, I'm Telegram's kind of a weird one. I. I don't use it if you want to use it. I don't know of any known flaws with it, but they kind of rolled their own security in a unique way. I don't, I know there's been some bugs here and there with it, uh, but I don't really use it. Um, It seems to be popular amongst, well, Lapsus was using it, I believe, and a few other hacking groups were using it. I don't know that it's a terrible program, but it's just, well, I'm less interested in it personally. Signal is kind of my go-to between security researchers, the fact that it ties it to a phone number, so I can validate the person on the other end uh, and, don't have to deal with any spam. It's been a solid uh, one for me to use.
1: I feel like Telegram was great up to a point. I still have it on my phone and I still have a few people that use it, but not really. Um, It it just seemed like it had a lot of momentum and then it kind of just slowed down and then everyone else caught up to it. But but there's still a lot of people that use it. I don't know. I think one of the things about Telegram is they have a lot more uh, chat rooms, kind of like you would have with IRC, but it's not as cool (laughs) basically. But Um, yeah, just I haven't, I I barely look at it anymore and it's like not a decision that I made to stop using it. It just like kind of just fell out of favor on its own. It's kind of weird. Yeah.
0: It's, and it's not really, it's. I would say I see more of the hacking groups using it. I mean, so I have security friends that definitely are using it, uh, but they'll communicate back to me with Signal, but not on Telegram. They'll communicate uh, generally with some of the things you're watching. So I believe it's, uh, as I mentioned, lapses and a few others, like have their channels set up where they're dumping all kinds of things. So,
1: hmm.
0: yeah. Sense. And back to hiding your phone number is, you know, uh, trying to make it more anonymous. A lot of people do that. I don't want to communicate anonymously. I want to communicate privately with people without listening. I also like the fact that, and I set this up, anyone who's uh, friends with me on Signal knows this. Um, the first time you pop up on Signal and message me, you'll see me immediately change to disappearing messages over X amount of weeks um that's i i like the fact that these conversations are generally ephemeral i think that's important i don't think we should always just keep data forever even if it's a small kilobits of data i'm not big on keeping all the data all the time makes sense all right what was next on our list all right let's see oh the uh if I have nothing interesting going on, why should I care about privacy? I, I think yep. most of us probably understand that on on the home lab show here, but it's it's a good topic to bring up.
1: I think it really is because a lot of it is about the idea more so than what, and not only that, just that. I mean, there's also wrong impressions or. What if you're looking up a recipe and then they, well, I guess I can't think of any recipe that would actually get the bomb squad called to your house, but there have been false accusations that would come out of this, but either way, if you don't know what your privacy is uh, or your information is being used for, then it's probably easy to have that claim. But when you start to see what's being done with your privacy, I think that is very important. And I feel like we all have to care because, you know, it's all about the weakest link, right? If, um, too many people just don't care about it, then nothing's ever going to be done. They'll keep doing what they do. They'll keep tracking you. They keep pulling your information. And it seems like it's just getting worse. I remember at one point I would um, not necessarily defend Facebook, but I would just say, if you want to use it, you've made the choice to have your personal information used for marketing purposes and whatnot. At least then you know what's happening. But then later on, there. um, harvesting information, even if you don't have an account. And that's just really insane to me. Um, And even if you don't feel like you have something that you care other people know, you're allowing it to happen. And by allowing it to happen, you're kind of just allowing this to proliferate even more. And I feel like we all have to take a stand. It may not be that we have something interesting. Maybe all we do is watch cat videos after work every day. I mean, come on, who doesn't do that? Right. But the idea is that the more, a lot of people stop caring. The more these issues and happen, the more these companies decide that they're just going to do whatever they want, and they, they just don't care. There's no incentive for them to not take their privacy capturing shenanigans to another level, and they will.
0: Yeah. And there's there's been the back and forth, you know, Facebook and all the our social media companies. One of the things I've kind of come to the conclusion myself on um, and a lot of other people agree with this. And I'll let you guys ultimately decide whether or not this is something you agree with is I think people should have accounts on these. One of the reasons why is it's like a placeholder. So I know because there's an account for Jay LaCroix and that account on Facebook is a placeholder. I know it's Jay LaCroix. If a new account popped up and Jay didn't have account because he decided I'm done with this Facebook. So I'm deleting it or insert name of other social media platforms, having a placeholder that someone can validate it's you. So someone doesn't impersonate it's you or someone has a way to contact you and figure out which one's the real you. It's usually the older account. Uh, This kind of comes full circle because uh, LinkedIn is actually considering this. Krebs on security wrote an article recently about all these people registering to be the CISOs of companies on LinkedIn. They were creating new accounts. Now, I don't think anything good was coming of this. He just took note that all these CISOs suddenly showed up on LinkedIn, who also apparently didn't have LinkedIn profiles before. Uh, so they're real people. And someone was just registering as if they were them. And there's not a conflict because these CISOs and, you know, if, you, if you're a high end CISO of a very large company, you probably don't need a LinkedIn because, well, if you watch the, the, those people just kind of bounce between some of these other, you know, Fortune 500 companies. But it seemed pretty suspicious when someone started registering lots of them and LinkedIn's going to consider adding the creation date for that. So, yeah, that's going to be you know, one of those indicators because you don't want someone impersonating you. Um, and if they do impersonate you and you go, well, hold on, I'm going to go be the real me and create an account today. Well, now it's even harder to figure it out because there's one that was created last week and you got mad and found out someone was impersonating you and you created one today. If you have an existing placeholder, and I'm not saying do this with every social media account, that's not reasonable, but maybe with the big ones that are out there, it's probably worth having a placeholder, even if you don't put anything on there other than I don't know, just a smiley face or whatever that default picture is that uh, Facebook or whatever them have. So I see someone actually put it in there, plant your flag. That's probably a good way to put it. Plant your flag oh. on those properties. Um, also, if you run businesses at all, register your business names on platforms, because if you don't, someone else might. So those are worth, worth noting that you should probably do that.
1: <laughs> yep. Totally agree.
0: Yeah. Uh, and what was the last one we had on our list? The
1: Unattended upgrades versus, uh, live patching. Oh, actually there's two more, but I'll cover that now since I already started mentioning it. Right. So, um, and this kind of came up again because we talked about this, but, um, recently Ubuntu made their Ubuntu pro program free for five users. And normally that that's like, um, home users only, but it's actually for home users and small businesses as well. So, um, Ubuntu Pro gives you some advantages, but I'm not really wanting to talk about that part of it. One of the advantages that I want to talk about is live patching, which is something that they've offered for free for a while for like up to three machines, and then um, you'd have to pay for more than that. So now it's five, which, which is essentially what this boils down to. Yes, there's more to it than that. Ubuntu Pro is more than just that, but um, in terms of live patching and unintended upgrades, Now, unattended upgrades is just something I feel like everybody should enable. I mean, why not? If your distribution offers that, it's free. Um, What that doesn't do is reboot the instance for you. Actually, you can have it reboot the instance for you, but um, that'll give you the most recent updates. It's up to you whether you want it to reboot or not, but at least you have that. Live patching, on the other hand, is live kernel patches, meaning um, your system's running and your kernel's being patched. It's like... Ripping the tablecloth off a table without disturbing the dinnerware on top of it, while also putting another um, tablecloth underneath it without disturbing anything—it's it just that's just what it feels like to me. Because you have a running kernel, and normally when you update the kernel for a security patch, you have to reboot the system to boot into the kernel. You still have to do that, but you at least have the option of live patching. With at least Ubuntu, a number of others offer this as well, but. As far as I know, I think Ubuntu's is the only one that's free right now. And somebody can absolutely correct me if I'm wrong, if another distribution is offering that. But that's just something to consider if you want the uptime. Now, obviously, the kernel is not the only thing that um, needs to be patched. There's libraries and applications and services to restart and things like that. But we have had a whole episode on that. But I wanted to bring it up again just to kind of talk about the difference where unattended upgrades is just almost like an automatic apt dist upgrade or whatever your distro's equivalent is overnight or something like that. So it's not as special as live patching, but it's still important. Live patching, if you happen to use Ubuntu, I feel like there's no reason not to, but I'll leave that up to you guys. At least turn on unattended upgrades to make, it'll lessen the amount of time that it takes you to update your systems if they're already updating themselves. So I think that'll just kind of simplify things. And given the news about Ubuntu Pro being free for five users now, If that's something that interests you, if you're already running Ubuntu and you're okay with that, um, take a look at the things you might get from that. You might actually um, find value in that. So I just wanted to bring that up.
0: Yeah, that's great that they've increased it like that. And I I don't know, live kernel patching is magical.
1: (laughs) It it really is. And uh, only one company that I'm aware of does live patching for shared libraries. Now, that's really cool. That's extremely cool. Uh, I feel like we need more of that. We need a service that's more than just the kernel. We need, like, everything if we can get it. Um, I feel like this is just the beginning. If we could keep this going, I just really can't believe in 2022 we still reboot things. That blows me away. Like, yeah, 10 years ago, I would have thought, you know, especially with containers becoming popular, that um, there would be more of a, uh, yeah, just have this one running and then just remove one underneath, update it, and then just swap them, you know, that kind of thing. But um, I, I'm sure that's coming. It's just taking a long time to, um, you know, actually be a thing. So I guess we'll see.
0: Yep. Well, and we set the reboot to fix everything, though. You know, that's... that's...
1: (laughs) Yeah, I hate that so much because I will avoid rebooting like I know it will fix it, but I need to know the root cause. And usually after about four, maybe six hours, I'll um, just cave in and reboot it. But usually I try to know what was going on. But that I feel like when you reboot, you lose your ability to fully understand unless you have good logs, you lose your ability to know what happened. Because Um, basically, um, if it fixes itself, then you don't know what was broken in the first place unless it happens again.
0: Uh, Question, Jay, did you do a video on kernel care?
1: Um, I did. And and actually, that one is kind of out of date. So I'm going to be I'm actually uh, actually recorded a new one. And it's not ready for uh, public consumption yet. I imagine in two to three weeks I'll have an updated tutorial on okay. it.
0: People asking about it in the comments, and so I, I thought you had done a previous video on it, and so now you also have a future video coming on it. Depending on when you're listening to this, if you're living in that future, check out Learn Linux TV and look for Kernel Care, and you'll find the videos on that topic.
1: Well, one of the thing I'll, I'll mention a few things about it that I like a lot. So um, one thing is that is cheaper than. Um, Ubuntu Pro, even last I looked, I don't remember. I don't know what the prices are after five. I didn't even bother looking at that. But they also support different distributions. So if you run a little bit of Debian, you know, a little bit of Ubuntu, maybe some SUSE Enterprise or something, whatever it is, they support 5,000 combinations of distributions of kernels. So... Um, They don't support the non-LTS versions of Ubuntu, which I hope they will do that because I feel it'd be great. But I also know that it's really hard to keep up with those interim releases. So I really like the fact that they do uh, multiple distributions. It's pretty cool. So that's what I use. And that's why I use it, because for the channel especially, um, yeah, I have Ubuntu server on um, most of my servers. But sometimes I don't. Sometimes I want to go a different direction. And I like to have uh, live patching on whatever I roll out. So um, as far as I know, it's the only one that does that. but um, kernel Care's live patch is not the same thing as the built-in kernel live patch, because the kernel is using something called K-patch. I don't want to get into that because it's a rabbit hole. You can Google Kpatch Linux kernel and find out all about it. but uh, kernel Care is actually using their own system, which is kind of neat. So I'll, it, you know, the, the other video is mostly relevant, but stay tuned. I'll have a new one pretty soon. Awesome. All right, and what's our next topic? All right, so it would be so cool if like all of my apps were like publicly exposed and easily accessible from anywhere, right? Wouldn't that <laughs> be awesome? That, that seems to be like, you know, entry-level people. I love you guys, I really do. Um, I wanted to kind of talk about that because I, I just find, I, I guess I have a hard time justifying anything being publicly available especially given how easy it is to set up a a VPN to your home lab at home or whatever. I I just fail to see unless you're running a personal blog or something like that, why anyone want to make something publicly available anymore. And I I do understand when you're first starting out, the fact that you can do that. And once you actually do that, it's really cool for the first time. But after the new wears off, maybe you might want to rethink that because it just makes me nervous yeah
0: it's if you go through and i could comment this on the security one it is always what you know and even the people who contact us for consulting um it's frequently we want to expose all these things and i'm like i can't express how bad of an idea this probably is uh to start exposing everything so yeah that just try to limit it use a vpn that is this one of my biggest security tips for people uh to keep themselves out of trouble i i'm we'll give another shout out. We've heard me use the word tail scale a few times from a ease of use standpoint, tail scale is one of the, easiest ones to get going and set up to get your applications available to you outside of your network and someone will probably point out well tom doesn't that mean i relinquish the control plane level of what machines are tied together through the tail scale interface yes there is that sacrifice on there i also know there's head scale if you'd like to manage something uh yourself and i have a video on head scale to manage tail scale as well but it all depends on where your skill levels are. And if you're new and just getting started out, I think Tailscale is a good place to start and you can level up to the level you want to get to, um, to help protect these things. But the level you don't want to be at is the, mm-hmm. I exposed it. and Now the crypto lockered me, um, this happened with especially we'll throw QNAP under the bus again because they can't stay out mm-hmm. of the news. Um, people get their QNAP, open it up to the Internet and figure out what QLocker is really quickly. And unfortunately, well, lose a lot of files that way unless they pay the ransom. So, um, yeah, there's definitely some uh, challenges that come with and risks that comes with just opening up ports.
1: And, and there's a, another really huge issue with this that I feel like we can't solve because... At least speaking for myself, I am not a psychologist. I troubleshoot <laughs> computers. I do not troubleshoot people. Now, what does that have to do with VPN? So, when it comes to companies, and I've worked with a number of them, and I can't say the name of the company out loud. I have a feeling, though, as I tell this story, you might actually know who I'm talking about. But you know, don't <laughs> say it, obviously. Yeah. Um. But but this company is not really about this company anyway, because a lot of them are like this, where um, VPN is a Um, They feel like it's an inconvenience and they hate it, right? And this, it just gets to be such a huge burden for an IT person who understands why it's necessary to explain to someone who doesn't appreciate having to connect to a client, put in their information, and go through two factor, whatever it is they have to do to get onto the work systems. And they're fuming and mad about the whole thing because it's just, you know, even though. Fifteen seconds it, to them—it's everything—and then they just want the VPN done away with. They want everything publicly available. But when companies support that, yes, let's make that happen. And then you, as the IT person, like what? Um, so, for example, we had a um, person that would constantly complain about VPN. As and the the reasoning I as I felt was to kind of create more stigma around VPN to um it you know kind of impress the higher ups to um, understand the concern and then come down to it and eliminate it which is exactly what was going to happen but then the person would come to me it was like yeah every time i go on the internet and do anything over vpn it's super slow oh what website are you, are you going to And he tells me the name of a new site well well good news that's not a problem because it's split tunnel. We don't actually, the VPN doesn't even go that direction. It's not even part of it. And he'll start like mentioning a bunch of problems with VPN and not one of them are actually problems because it's impossible for any of them to be, um, you know, impacting him at all because he's going to websites that are not, you know, work websites. They're not part of the VPN. So it's just no matter how many times these false claims come up, this happens all the time where there's this stigma at work about VPN yeah. and connecting, especially as we're working from home, um, you know, after the pandemic and everything. And um, I wish there was something I could tell you guys to um, do about this other than keep fighting the good fight. You know, you, you yep. know, what's necessary, you know, what's needed to secure the systems. Do not be, do not, do, do not get discouraged about this. Just keep going. You know, we love you guys, you know, so just uh, keep, keep it up. And um, unfortunately, we can fix computers, but we can't fix mindsets.
0: <laughs> yeah, yep. Lock it all down. Yep. All right. Is that the last on the list? I think it is. I think so. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. This was a lot of fun. And for those of you that are still with us, we have something to announce. And uh, do we tell mm-hmm. them what the new address is, Jay?
1: Um. Oh my to... gosh! It's right on the tip of my tongue. Feedback. Feedback. Twenty Twenty Two at the
0: homelab.show. Some people just don't like filling up forms. I get it. And we're not going to publish this on our site. We're just going to start announcing it. I probably should announce it at the beginning of the show. But nonetheless, feedback 2022. Now, we might change that email address next year. Uh, I'll let right. you guess what it'll be. But we'll announce it when we change it yeah. <laughs> but, uh, We're going to keep it so we can try to minimize this Bam but we realize some people want to contact Us and have things mentioned in the show or brought Up and uh, a lot of people don't want to go to A website and a forum but if you send an Email to feedback 2022 At the homelab.show We will be checking that uh, email Going through it and it'll add to our List of topics for our Q&A Episodes we're just trying to make it easier uh, For people who you know I've yep. said you can Message us on Twitter and some people do uh, but Some people go well, I don't like Twitter or, I don't like these other methods and i just want to send an email i don't want to use a google form because i'm blocking everything google in my life and that's fine these are all legit things so you can just email us Um, you've
1: made that decision for yourself now you have an alternative to contact us
0: We just wanted to offer uh, that as an option, so thank you again for joining us. Uh, check out Jay's kernel Care video and last week's show where I talked a lot and I have some show notes on there in that video where I dove into it. I even referenced a darknet Diaries one the last time talking about how people pivot through home labs with one of their episodes, so there's a lot to consume if you didn't listen to the last one. Hopefully we enlightened you on this and uh, we'll be back to projects um soon. We have some more Uh, plenty to do on that and uh, plenty more ideas, but we do want to do a Q and a episode again soon. So uh, throw your questions at us. Let's answer them. We want to help the home lab people keep going. Uh, It's just been great uh, how this whole audience has been building up and how this live stream has over a hundred people on it right now. It's been pretty awesome. I know. So thank you. Everyone who's joined us and we'll see you next time. Thanks.
1: You Later.